When I came to Eastwood, I was a young man. <laughs> and so it's good to be back with the passage of time. I've been here for times when we bid farewell to those who went on to glory. So tonight, I want to share with you something that I became a part of in 1971. This was the guide for the lay evangelism school sponsored by our home mission board. And I'll tell some of my experiences that I had as I used this from various places in the state and in the country. But right now, I want to uh, tell you about four ladies that got together and played cards. Of course, they played Rook. And at one of the meetings, one of the ladies that was well past middle age stood up and said, well, girls, this will be the last game I'll be with you. And they all said, well, why? What's happening? She said, I'm getting married. Well, they were all shocked. You're getting married? Is he rich? No. Is he handsome? No. Well, how about, is he a good conversationalist? She said, no. So, well, why are you marrying him? She said, he can drive at night. <laughs> I know a little bit about that. But you know, we're living in a society that is getting used to night. Our nation is being covered with darkness. It's made a difference in our culture. And so basically, what I'm going to challenge you with is to turn on the light. There's no trouble for some people to enjoy the darkness. And a lot of the things that go on are directed by the God of this world, this world that is dark. My son has become a friend with an Israeli rabbi and churches have given support to the rabbi because he helps to build bomb shelters. But he is also a scribe, which means he transfers from ancient scrolls to put it on better parchment and to make it more readable. I invited him to a Bible class that my son and I teach. And he made a profound statement 
that has been etched into my mind and into my heart. And I've shared it many times. One of the first things he said was this. Modern man knows much about the natural, but knows very little, if anything, about the supernatural. Jesus talked to a Pharisee about the supernatural. His name was Nicodemus. And he came to talk to Jesus at night, and I've heard people say, well, the reason he came at night was he didn't want anybody to know that he was going to see this teacher. No. All the Pharisees and, and those who even held office worked. Remember the Apostle Paul declared that he was a Pharisee and he was a tent maker. So one night when he finished work, he sought out this man named Jesus. And we read about the visit in the third chapter of John. And Jesus talked about being born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And Nicodemus was puzzled. He said, how, how can I enter back into my mother's womb? And Jesus said, no, you must be born of water and the spirit. The water had to do with the natural birth. But the spirit had to do with the supernatural birth. And Nicodemus was puzzled. But Jesus went on to quote that wonderful verse that we've used and we've taught our children. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, Carl Sandburg lived in a suburb near Chicago, and I went to college in a little school that was in the suburb of Chicago named Elmhurst. And my social science teacher rode the same car often, the electric car. And there would be Sandberg, and he would sit by him, and he would share with us what he and Sandberg would discuss. Sandberg wrote a narrative, and these are the words. I'm riding on the Limited Express, one of the cracked trains of the nation, hurtling across the Perry into blue haze and dark air go 15 all-steel coaches holding a 1,000 people. All the coaches shall be scrap and dust and all the men and women laughing in the diners and sleepers shall pass to ashes. 
I asked a man in the smoker where he is going. And he answers, Omaha. Leaves you with a question. Is that as far as this man was thinking about his life? What comes after Omaha? What comes after life? Which direction are many lives going today? Many people think and even prepare for life after this. Dr. David Jeremiah, who has come to be one of my favorite preachers and a prolific writer, he wrote a book on sign, a book of signs. And he said that a survey that he discovered that there are 600 references to heaven in the Bible. When I was chaplain at the medical center, I had unique access to all the patients. And I had an opportunity to talk to many of them at the request of family members, to talk to them about the Lord and putting their faith in him. I'll never forget the farmer who was self-taught, extremely bright, and you've probably heard the commercial that farming is not work, it's a lifestyle. And his wife said to me, uh, Chaplain, would you do something, please? And I said, anything, I can help. She said, would you go in and talk to my husband? He's not a Christian. I've not been able to get him to go to church. And I'd love for you to talk to him about the Lord. And so I went in. He was a heart patient. And he was in our step-down unit. And I went in and visited him. And I asked him, I said, do you believe in Jesus? He said, what do you mean, believe in Jesus? I said, well, it's, it's a matter of faith. It's asking him who died for you to come into your life and give you the assurance of heaven. He said, huh, that sounds simple. I said, it is simple. But it's the most important decision anyone ever makes in life. And I said, I'll explain to you what it takes, and we'll have prayer together. And if you'll follow me in prayer, the gates of heaven will open for you. And so... We had prayer. He followed me as I prayed. And he repeated what I prayed for him. When we finished praying, 
he did this. He said, I feel like there's a big load lifted. I said, yes, it is. You've been carrying uncertainty on your back about what tomorrow might bring or the next day. His wife came in. I told her what had happened, and she was all smiles. And they hugged. And then he was discharged. I usually go back and visit in the coronary care unit, and I was going in as the wife of this man was entering into it. And sometimes family members bring candy or flowers to the staff who've helped with their family member, husband, child, whatever. And I said, what are you doing back here? She said, well, they brought him back. And I said, well, if he needed to be brought back, this is a good place. He'll get good care in the tent. No, she said, I don't mean that. I mean back, back. Let him tell you. And so I went in and said the same thing to him. I said, well, I, I'm sorry you've had to come back. He said, I'm sorry. And it was in a little anger. I'm sorry they brought me back. I said, well, tell me about it. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. When I woke up, I never saw such a beautiful piece of land. Here is a farmer. First thing he would notice would be the land. He said that the grass was as green as any green grass I've ever seen. And he said... The sky was without any clouds and it's just as blue as blue can be. And he said everything was so quiet. And he said up on the hills were houses. And then he said they brought me back. And his wife told the staff said, right on his chart, no, do not resuscitate. And that's what they did. And in a day or two, he had another heart seizure, and he went home. He had a home in heaven that he didn't have before. I suppose his wife had talked to him about it, but really didn't pay much attention. But God brought him to a point where he was in a corner, and the only thing that he could know would be what I told him, and he believed. There are a lot of people living in darkness in Bowling Green, Kentucky, in the state of Kentucky, in our great country. 
It is a subject that we used to talk about. But as Dr. Jeremiah tells of one man who said to him, among mainland Protestants, it was thought speculation about the nature of a personal afterlife is anti-intellectual and belong to the realm of sawdust floor evangelists. And too much talk of the next would detract from efforts to relieve suffering in the present. I don't know whether you know much about C.S. Lewis, but get acquainted with him. Get one of his books, screw tape letters, mere Christianity. He has written many books. He, he was a scholar at Oxford in England. And when he was nine years old, his mother became severely ill and he stood at her bedside and prayed and she died. He became an atheist. He didn't believe that there is a God. And he made a a pilgrimage in his life. He went from being an atheist to an agnostic to a theist. And through J.R. Tolkien, where they met at a pub in Oxford, began to talk with him about the Lord. And Lewis began to read the Bible and he began to ponder this thing about God and heaven. He and his brother rode motorcycles and they were going to a zoo. And Lewis said in his heart, by the time we get to the zoo, I'm either going to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, or I'm just going to wash my hands of the whole thing. When he got off of his bike, he said, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. God had dealt with his spirit. That's the supernatural part of our body. And it needs to be reborn. If you die without that rebirth, everything is lost. There is life after death. And I know we don't like to talk about death, and, and it isn't that we go out to talk to people and tell them you're going to die. No, we talk to them about heaven. And we talk to them about how God loves them and what he has done for us. Paul declared that we're in a battle with the supernatural. He said, our fight is not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers, with the ruler of darkness of this world. The one who rules this world is a representative of night. And those who prefer night He's satisfied. Those that are moving towards light, he begins to draw on us and draws away from the light.
The darkness is moving across our land. Churches are growing dark. They're growing empty. People are leaving. When I was ordained as a Southern Baptist minister in 1954, there was a slogan, a million more in 54. We were on the move. The churches were growing. Baptisms everywhere. The last three years, there has been a decline in Southern Baptist churches. Well, history records the two great awakenings on the East Coast. When people began to leave the eastern seaboard to move inland and to go west, they moved away from the churches. And a Presbyterian preacher by the name of James McCready got a wagon and his horse, and he rode out to a camp where they were, just at the corner of Logan County in 1800. And he preached the word of God, and people came from everywhere, just walking, riding, however they could get to the meeting. And it gave birth to what was called the Frontier Revival. I know people don't talk much about revivals anymore, but it's what we need. We need a resurgence in the spirit of our nation. Our problems are not political, they are spiritual. And we need to get the word out, turn the light on. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But he also said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. You don't light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but you put it on a stand so it gives light to the whole house. The challenge for us today as Christians is to find someone to talk to about Jesus. And I'll tell more about that. But something happened in this lay evangelism school. I ended up in Columbus, Ohio. You know why? I got acquainted with Leonard Stiegler, who was a pastor in Nashville. And he held a meeting in West Tennessee where I was an associate pastor. And we got acquainted. He pastored the church where a lot of the Opryland stars attended. And Leonard called me up one day and he said, Jim, I have a problem. I said, what is it? He said, I have a church in Columbus, Ohio. In fact, we have a number of churches that are going to have a school of evangelism. And the one church that I, I, I don't have anyone to cover had a man coming from Georgia. And when his church found out that it was going to be a black church. He said, you're not, they told the preacher, you're not going there. So he called me. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go. And I lived with a single bachelor, black, 
in a wonderful community, friendly. And the church was a, a tremendous black church. In the lay evangelism, there are three nights of teaching, and the fourth night, Thursday, was the night to go out and practice what we've been learning during the week. The pastor said, I know of a home that I want you to visit and talk to the, the young woman there. She has two children. Her husband's in jail for gambling. And we went in, introduced ourselves, and then we sat down. And the pastor said, this man has come to talk to you about Jesus. And I explained to her what we call the simple gospel. It's not complicated. And she listened. And I said, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? And she said, yes, I would. And I said, well, I'm going to lead you in prayer, and you just repeat after me. We prayed. When I finished, she raised her face towards me. <laughs> it was covered with tears. And the blackness just glowed. And she hugged me and said, thank you, thank you. The pastor and I and a couple other people from the church went out. And the Lord said to me, do you know that's the first black person you've ever talked to about me? And I made up my mind. It doesn't matter to me. Background, social status, race. If they don't know Jesus, who's going to tell them? I met a worker at Red Lobster. And I uh, had enough money to go eat at the Red Lobster. My wife passed away in 98. And so I, my friend Pete here and I eat together some. And the family, all of my family lives here but one grandson who lives in Nashville. And so that night when I sat down, and I usually was dependent upon my wife to pick out on the menu, and I don't know whether you've ever been to the Red Lobster, but it's like reading a catalog. <laughs> and I said to my server, I said, uh, what, what, what's, what kind of soup? And she told me, and then the entree, and. She helped me out, got it together, and I said, what is your name? And she told me her name. And I uh, said, well, I really appreciate your help. And I explained to her what had happened. And she said, oh, I'm very sorry. 
And I said, oh, no. I said, I know where she is, and I hope to see her by that same grace. The blessed assurance is in my heart. When she brought the check, she had on it, your check has been paid. She paid for my meal. I told the Bible class about this, and the Bible class was just, they, they couldn't believe it. And we have a very successful man in our class. In fact, we have a number of successful people, but this one in particular, and Pete's in, my, in our Bible class, he remembers about it, and uh, the man came up to me, and he said, look, I want you to take this. It was a $100 bill. He said, go back to the Red Lobster. Have a meal and give her the rest, the balance. And so I did that. One day I, I decided, well, now's the time to, to go back and I went in and I said, I gave the name of the server and they said, oh yes, yeah, she's here. She's working in the bar, <laughs> whoops. But I said, well, if Jesus was here, he'd go in the bar and I went to the bar and called her name. Her back was to me. I said, hurry up and give me an iced tea. Well, I got the food, and there was a couple. They were just dating, a young man and a young woman. And I struck up a conversation. I said, boy, your, your food really looks good. She said, it is good. So one thing led to another. And she said, I think I know you. And I said, oh, really? I looked at her shirt. And I'd never been to the restaurant where she worked. But I, I said to them, I took the card out of my pocket. And I said, do you know what that means? Then the young woman said, I know where you are from. I go to the same church where one Wednesday night you explained that card. And I said, well, all right, I, I'm going to give you a copy. And I talked with her boyfriend, and I said, are you a Christian? No, he said, I, I don't go to church. I said, now, young lady, you see that he gets to church. And I gave him this card. I don't know what's happened, but I talked to this couple. They were complete strangers. I talked to my Kroger checkout lady and gave her a card. I said, you know what that is? No, she said, I don't have the slightest idea. I explained it to her. I said, now pass this along to somebody. You're a Christian, you tell me, and you're a member of a Baptist church. Now hand that to somebody who doesn't know the Lord. She said, you know who I'm going to give it to? I said, no, who? She said, my son. I talked to a man who was at the door of Best Buy, asked him if he was a Christian, and he was a young black man, and he just grinned. He said, yes, I am. 
And I asked him which church he went to, and he told me Living Hope. I said, it's a good church. I showed him the card, and I said, if you see somebody who's not a Christian, show them this card. And I explained to him what the symbols meant. And he was excited. He put it in his pocket. He said, I'll use it. Every one of you, I'm sure, watched Duck Dynasty. There was old Phil Robertson. The dynasty he was the head of. What a wild man old Phil was. Do you know that he was the leading quarterback of Texas? Uh, let's see. TCU, Texas, what? Okay, <laughs> that's what happens when you're 91. But old uh, Phil, he, he met a guy named Big Al. He played football there in uh, 67, 60, I think 68. He dropped out, barely graduated, but gave up football. The second string was Terry Bradshaw. Who hasn't heard of Terry Bradshaw? But Big Al taught Phil how to have a big time, how to enjoy the night, the dark. He and his wife lived together, had three children, but old uh, Phil, he'd go out on the town every night, stagger home, sit on the front stoop, and one day came down the street, and sat down and looked, and there was their Volkswagen. It was full of most everything that she and the boys wore. And she had a couple of chairs stuffed in the back of this Volkswagen. And anyway, Phil said, what are you doing? She said, I'm leaving you. I'm tired of this. And he said, well, okay, it just gives me a little more freedom. But something happened to Phil. An emptiness came upon him. And he said, I miss my family. And he began to look around in Junction City, Arkansas. And he discovered the store where she worked. And he pulled up in front of it. And it was about time for the store to close. And she, he just waited there. And he was weeping. The next thing he knew, she was knocking on the window. And when he rolled the window down, she said, what do you want? He said, I miss my family. Well, she said, I don't know what you're going to do about it. He said, well, I want us to get back together. She said, the only way we'll get back together is for you to become a Christian since I left you, 
the boys and I have all been going to church and not become a Christian. And he said, oh, I don't know about that. She said, well, that's the, that's the way it is. She said, I want you to meet our preacher, Bill Smith. And so Miss Kay, that's Bill calls his wife Miss Kay to this day. She said, come to my apartment and I want Brother Smith to come and talk to you. So it was a ramshackle apartment house and the kitchen was barely enough for the boys and her to get in. But anyway, that day, she and Reverend Smith and old Phil sat down at the kitchen table and the preacher took out a napkin and he drew what's on that card. And he said, Phil, here's the way it is. And he explained each of the symbols. He said, Jesus came into the world and he died on the cross for you and me. He was put in a tomb and he came out of the tomb and he taught and he had his disciples there and he ascended back to heaven. And Phil, he's coming again. He said to the preacher, I'm going to read all the verses of scripture you've given me. And if I find that they speak what you've told me, I'll become a Christian. And that was when his life turned around. Phil Robertson eked out a living in the woods and by the river there in Louisiana. His wife said, I don't know how we're going to make it, Phil. He said, we'll make it. He was a hunter and a fisherman. He lived off the land. And then he figured out whittling one day about making a duck call. And he got acquainted with some men and they went with him to hunt ducks and he blew that duck call and one of them said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You say you whittled that thing? Yes. He said, I'm going to give you $25,000. You buy a lathe and you can begin to make more than just one. Today, Phil's worth $15 million. He's 78 years old. But he goes everywhere telling the story. What a renegade. What a scoundrel. What an adulterer. A fornicator. A drinker. Just you name it. Phil was there. And God got hold of him because he got hold of Miss Kay. And Miss Kay had her pastor to explain to him the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm asking you to do. Everyone in here, 
you know someone, or you could take a complete stranger, a checker at Kroger, a doorkeeper at Best Buy, a server at one of the restaurants, and just take the card and say to them, do you know what this means? And then take time. If you find out, you can ask them, are you a Christian? And you will be surprised here in the Bible Belt how many no's you'll get. Or how many, oh, I used to be, but I don't go to church anymore. That's our role. Where's the light coming from? You can't depend upon your preacher just to do it all. He can instruct. He can just tell it like it is. But it's up to each of us who know the Lord and can still use a card to just ask somebody, do you know what this is? And then tell them what all the symbols mean. What I'm going to ask you is this. How many of you will pledge tonight, if you'll just lift your hand, will pledge tonight, I'll take that card and talk to somebody about what it means. If you're, if you're willing to do that, would you just lift your hand? Jesus lifted hands on the cross. And, and just a matter of talking to somebody about Jesus. Are you going to hide your light under a bushel? Are you going to let it shine? The reason the darkness has come upon our land, our churches and our members have been slumbering and it's time for us to have a great awakening. And I believe that we're running out of time. There are so many signs that Jesus talked about and we read about that Jesus is coming. And we want to be ready being about our Father's business and getting people ready. If they should go before he comes or he comes before they're ready. So please pray about that. And I trust that every one of you will be a witness and do it in the power and under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. In this book, one of the lessons is entitled How to Be Controlled by, Filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not talking about speaking in tongues or doing all the things that some insist you do, but it's by the work of the Holy Spirit in you and how it comes to be. When I taught over in Franklin,
in the First Baptist Church. A lady came up to me after the study, and she said, you know why I'm, I'm tired of teaching? And I said, why? She said, because I've been doing it in my own strength rather than in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, I rest each one here tonight in the leadership of your Holy Spirit to be conscious and aware that you speak to us. Your word tells us, be still and know that I am God. And so may each begin a day by just listening for the orders and the direction of our spiritual commander-in-chief. Jesus is Lord, and may he be Lord over all here tonight, and that the light will be turned on by each one using that card to ignite the light. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Britt, what, what a wonderful way you have inspired us tonight. You have challenged us. You have shared with us such a practical uh, way to...